So I, uh, let's see, it's been a couple of years, I think, since I spoke at your last uh, sanctuary. So this is my first time actually speaking here, and I'm, I'm thrilled, I'm honored. Um, the first service was uh, just fantastic. The Lord moved, and I think some people were touched and revived and restored and renewed, and, and that's really what we come to, the, you know, to, to, to do. So uh, it's just an honor to be here, an honor to see you. I want to publicly thank uh, you know, the pastors, uh, Tony and Craig and, and all the facilities, they've been so gracious and generous to us. And I just wanted to thank them for, uh, just being so generous and gracious to us as we've stepped in. We got some big shoes to fill. Your, your pastor is a great personal friend of mine. He's a brother from another mother. I just love him to death. And, uh, he just, he, he's just an incredible man. Uh, he will take on, as much as God will give him, and uh, that's what he's in the middle of right now, uh, you know, and that's, that's peculiar. I mean, a lot of people in ministry today, they only want to take on their specific ministry that they feel called to, uh, that they're committed to, that, that you know, that uh, uh, butters their, uh, their bread, or, yeah, so, um, but, and, and so, and, and he'll just take it on, he, because he has a servant's heart, Certainly, he wants to serve this community. He wants to serve the larger community of Thousand Oaks as mayor. He's trying to serve, again, in other ministries. That is just an, uh, uh, an anomaly. That's an uncharacteristic um, um, pastor and servant. And uh, so you have just an incredible man of God here. And I'm just honored that he would ask me and, and Walter to step in and try to provide some encouragement uh, today. And uh, so that's what we're going to try to do. I was, um, uh, there's a couple things that, okay, good. So, there, you know, in, in, in pondering, you know, what do, I, what do I talk about? You know, how do I really, you know, I went to God and I said, so what, you know, what's happening? How do I, how do I really minister to the people of God speak here in Thousand Oaks? And do I continue on with Luke maybe? Maybe there's some offshoot in Luke that I could talk about and discuss and the Lord really told me, he said, no, 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 no. He says, uh, the people down there are battle-worn, and they need some restoration. They've been in the battle. They've been in the fight for a while. Some of them may be even losing heart. And um, they need to hear directly from me, God, um, as to what the battle is, how it's being worn, how it's being fought. And they need to be encouraged and restored and revived. I said, okay, well. I said, okay, God, well, uh, I don't know what you want to talk about that. I know nothing about that. He said, no, no, no. He said, so, so he gave me a, a battlefield um, analogy. And here it is. In the battle, when, when we're in battle and in war, uh, and we have, we, we, we're, we're, we're completely deplenished, and we need a new supply. We need new food and materials and all of that. Then we get these flyovers, and they drop the supplies in on our on our side of the battlefield. And he says, so, but when these, you know, when the uh, resupplying efforts are underway and the planes are flying over, they get a chance to see the battleground of the enemy. And so they also, when they drop the supplies, they also give a heads up to the people on the battlefield. Hey, you know, over that ridge, you know, they're dug in. They, this is how they're organized. This is how they're strategically set. They're looking to pounce on you this way. You may want to outflank them that way. So any of the battleground intelligence is also provided when you resupply the supply lines. He says, so I want you to look at this as just that. I mean, these people have been uh, vilified, demonized, talked about, called all kinds of names just for trying to stand up on my word and be civically engaged. And he says, and, and, and we, we need to help them to see what the war is, and how to really fight and win. I said, okay, God, uh, let's see. All right, give me what you got on that one. That's, that's really interesting. <laughs> so, um, so and, then, and, you know, and then this morning I woke up and it hit me. So every day, seeming for the past several weeks, every day we get a moment of outrage from the media, from Nancy Pelosi, from Cummings. From, and today's outrage, I don't know if you guys, do you guys see this? So today's outrage, they set, they set our president up. They set him up. They said, okay, um, Mr. President, uh, what's your favorite dessert? And uh, 
you know, so I thought, oh boy, here we go. And he says, well, you know, to be honest, it's blackberry pie. Ah, racist, blackberry, black. He wants to devour blacks. He, that's a microaggression. Of course, I'm, I'm playing. <laughs> but that is not too uncharacteristic of the level of derangement around this president, around this nation. When we just try to stand up for truth, when we just try to be everything God calls us to be, when, you know, we get this kind of outrage. And what's causing that? What's causing that? And why are we being villainized just for trying to serve God in the best way that we think we, we can? Just for standing on the word of God, whether we like our president or not. When we go and we try to get civically engaged, we just try to look at the word of God and say, okay, well, I'm going to stand on the principles of the word of God. I'm just going to vote for people that align with that. Well, why is that all of a sudden white nationalists? So this shows you the level of derangement, right? So me and Walter are beautifully black, right? And... And because we take a stand or where we take a stand, they actually call us white nationalists. You're a white segregationist. And I'm like, are you kidding me? But, but really, the, the lens that is being looked at with people today, it's, um, it, it really, you know, I mean, people really see us in that way. If we don't agree with a real hard left bent, then we're racist, homophobic, xenophobic, uh, you know, all the other phobias. But, um, and, and so when we as a congregation start to have all of this incoming all the time, where we can't even minister to our family, we can't even take a stand with our friends and our communities because we know the onslaught is going to be there, how do we get replenished? How do we get restored? So um, that's what we want to talk about today. We're going to talk about restoration for the battle worn. And one of the things that I, I you know, as I went into this, I, uh, I got a newsletter from David Lane, wonderful man, his, his wife's Indian, just an incredible family. They do incredible work with the American Renewal Project. If, you, if you're not supporting him, that's a great ministry to support. And he, uh, he, you know, his newsletter last week was just, was astounding, the stats that came out of it. It says, current uh, studies confirm that 10% of Christians, only 10% of Christians, have a biblical worldview. And you're like, well, really? So we, we, we complain about all the things around us, social, uh, socially and culturally. We, we hesitantly get civically engaged, but yet only 10% of us actually have a biblical worldview. This is part of the issue. This is the crux of the matter. And then only 14% read the Bible on a daily basis. So that, that certainly exacerbates it. And only 2.8% of American pastors are willing to apply the Bible to current issues, current social cultural issues. So basically 97% of pastors don't even address what's going on in America today. And so then we wonder, well, how are we going to make a difference? How are we going to stand up for the kingdom? How are we going to battle? How are we going to fight? How are we going to do this if only a fraction of us actually have a biblical worldview and only a fraction of that actually believe and, and vote and, and, uh, and carry it forth in that way? And then only a fraction of pastors or community leaders will stand up and, and, and talk um, biblical uh, realities in, in contrast to, to the culture. Um, and then there were some other, uh, uh, you know, some other assessments made. 90% of the new voters of all spectrums uh, voted for hardcore leftists um, in the last election. Uh, that just portends that we have a lot of work to do. And it also tells us that if we, as we continue to stand, we're going to continue to get a lot of incoming um, assaults. And um, so we, we have to be ready for that. But this is the crux of the issue. This is, this is the battle. Um, one of the things that really 
helped me to see as I was looking at this issue, I said, well, Lord, um, but how does this, how does this translate? How does this, he took me to Zephaniah, Zephaniah 3, if you, if you have your Bibles, you can go there. And um, Zephaniah, of course, is a prophet, and he was civically engaged and uh, God, had a God view. Uh, God used him as a, major, as, a, as a prophet in his time. And he really spoke about the, the times of uh, Jerusalem's impending doom and Judah, uh, the judgment on Judah, and how they would come out. And this is how that, but you know, it's relevant to today. And so I thought, well, okay, why don't we use this to kind of start with. It says, Jerusalem is doomed, that corrupt, rebellious city that oppresses its own people, and that is, uh, and it has not listened to the Lord or has accepted his discipline. It has not put its trust in the Lord or asked for his help. Its officials are like roaring lions. Its judges are like hungry wolves, too greedy to leave a bone until morning. Prophets are irresponsible and treacherous. The priests defile what is sacred and twist the law of God to their own advantage. But the Lord is still in the city. He does what is right and never what is wrong. Every morning without fail, he brings justice to his people. And yet the unrighteous peace people there keep on doing wrong and are not at all ashamed. And I think that this really encapsulates what we're dealing with today. If you're familiar with the seven mountain strategy, you know, the seven mountains of influence, you know, media, education, uh, um, uh, you know, Hollywood, arts, uh, family, religious, if you, anybody familiar with the seven mountains of, of influence? Okay. So all of those seven mountains essentially is what Zephaniah has said, have been defiled. They've been, they've succumbed, they've been overtaken. Um, and all of the people with those influences have influenced the culture of Jerusalem at that time. Jude Judah as it's going into captivity. And that's exactly where we are today. Every single mountain of influence, and I would say we have eight mountains now. The other major mountain is social media. And, uh, and it's probably the most influential of all of the seven today. Uh, but they've all been overtaken by hardcore leftists um, and, and really demonism. And, um, and that's what we're fighting against. And so I said, okay, well, all right. How do, we, uh, how do we begin to see how to deal with this issue, oh God? And he says, okay. The first thing we have to recognize is that there is a distinction. If you're familiar with Malcolm Muggridge, who was uh, uh, an incredible theologian, biblical scholar, just an incredible story. One of his books was The, uh, the End of Christendom. And in this book, I mean, he, he does a lot of work around Pascal and Pascal's letters and his writings. But in this book, he draws a distinction between Christendom and being a Christian. And the Lord really began to work with me on this. He says, pay attention to this because this is, this is really where the rubber meets the road. So Christendom was something that um, uh, Muggeridge characterizes as started by Constantine. If you're familiar with Constantine's story, he had a some dreams, and he said that Jesus visited him, and, you know, as a result of that, he started the institutional church. He had professional speakers, you know, sophists of the day, go up and speak in the, in the pulpits, and he encouraged everybody. He actually demanded that everybody go to these institutional churches in these zones and these regions that he set up, and it was a requirement to go. And um, it is the, what, what, what started the institutional church. And, but the issue is, is that that's a man-made manifestation. And all man-made manifestations will change morals and values as the culture changes. And so Christianity, however, being a Christian is different. It's relational. It comes by virtue of the Holy Spirit. It connects us to the, to the sufferings of Jesus, cross, Jesus Christ. And it, it provides us a connection to God directly through Jesus. And so there's a whole discipleship that takes place into the image and likeness of Jesus as you accept him as Savior and Lord. The issue with Christendom is it only focused on the salvation part. There is no lordship as part of the institution of Christendom as described in Muggeridge's book. 
And so when we come to today, we see a lot of our fellow Christians completely uh, smitten by sort of really antithetical views. And we're flummoxed. We're like, well, how, did, how do you be in love with Jesus and support and do and support others who, who are this way? This is damaging our communities. It's damaging our society. It's damaging our churches. Well, this is it. Some of us have accepted Christendom as an institution. And this is why you have some churches that say, well, we're a social justice church. Excuse me? I, you know, when I look at the word of God, there is no, there's no, no social justice in this. There's no, there's no such thing as a social justice gospel. There's no such thing as black liberation gospel in the word of God. So we have all of these strange ideologies that have shifted and that are part of Christendom that are now impacting us. Because we say, no, 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 I'm not going that way. I'm taking a stand for, for what's right according to the scriptures. When I vote for people, I use, I use, I don't vote parties. I use my God view. I, I, I filter them through the word of God and I make my choice, period. And when we do that, we're being called all kinds of names, vile, disgusting names, just for taking a principled stand on what God says. So they're mad at us and we say, look, no, no, don't take it personally. I just, I have to vote this way because this is, it lines up. And then they say, no, no, you're homophobic. Are you just saying then that God himself is homophobic and racist? And Tell me where, reconcile that with me, brother, pastor. This is where we are today. So this is important for us to understand because as we enter the battle and as we encounter people that call us all these kinds of crazy names, make these weird assessments about us just because we're standing on the principles of God, we need to know where the battle is. They themselves are conflicted, and we need to pray for them. We also need to forgive them. I'll get more into that in a minute here. So the other thing that really is confounding for a lot of us is why is it so vehemently against us right now. We, we, we didn't know, we had no anticipation that just standing for the word of God, we'd arrive at this point in time where we would actually be the, the, the uh, we'd actually be the, uh, represent the outrage of people when all we're doing is we're trying to live the best life through, uh, through the, what, a biblical reality, that's all. And yet, we're put upon. We're smitten by these crazy ideas and, and words that are coming at us. And who? Who, who, who? Who's behind this? And how? How is it such a fever pitch right now? Let's look at it. All right, Genesis 3. We are going to get to the crux of how, when, where the literal war began. Yes, yeah, certainly in eternities past, there was a war that began in the heavenlies. But here on earth, there was a war that began the first time it was mentioned. God himself mentioned it. Genesis 3. Let's take a look at it. He says, and he's this is Eve talking to God. Genesis 3, 13 to 3, 15. And this is the Message Bible. She says, the, 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 the serpent seduced me, and I ate. And God told the serpent, so he's talking to Satan now, because you've done this, you're cursed. You're cursed beyond all cattle, all wild animals. Oh, you just, you just jacked up. You cursed. You just. You, you're cursed to slink on your belly and, and eat dirt all your life. I'm declaring war. First time it's mentioned in the word of God, war. Between you and the woman. Stay with me. 
between your offspring and hers. He'll wound your head. In other words, his, the offspring, the woman's offspring, wound your head, and you'll wound his heel. This is the crux and culminates in everything that we stand for. We've heard for years from friends and family like, oh, uh, there's a litmus test that if I'm a Christian, I have to vote a certain way because, uh, because of the life issue. No, it's beyond that. We've got social justice. We've got racial issues. We've got civil rights. And, uh, uh, no. One issue. This issue. This is the war. I didn't say it. God said it. The war is between Satan and the woman and her offspring. The reason why abortion, life, has been so, I mean, you, I mean, it's amazing. Have you ever seen these women that go to the women's marches? Have you ever seen them on the news or, you, I don't know, maybe some of you participate, I don't know, but, but have you ever, I mean, they're nor I mean, I've been on buses with them. I've been ridden in elevators. They're normal people, conscientious, seemingly well-doing. When they get in those hordes of people on the streets, they are unhinged off the chain. They are saying the most vile, disgusting things you could ever imagine. Why? How did that? What, what happens? What is this transition? What happened? This is a demonic assault. This is not something to be compromised from a Christian's point of view. This is where the war begins, right here. And we have to be unmoved, unequivocal about this issue. This is a non-negotiable. Every single thing that we hold dear and true culminates with life, everything. Civil rights, who needs civil rights more than an unborn, innocent baby who cannot say anything, can't, her, his or her life isn't strictly in the hands of somebody else. Who needs the civil right? Okay, racism. There's a whole lot we could say about that. I'll leave that for Walter to address. Justice, social justice, justice and righteousness. Who needs justice more than the unborn who doesn't even have a voice? They cannot say or do anything to improve their condition. Taking care of the poor, which some of my black pastor buddies say, well, Kev, you know, we're all about just taking care of the poor. Oh, excuse me, pastor. Who's more poor? What's your definition of poor? They say, okay, well, the definition is, uh, you, know, uh, you know, you put upon, you, you really can't improve your condition. Excuse me, sir. What? You just described an innocent baby in the womb. And, sir, you're accepting the fact that that baby can be torn limb from limb and, 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 and aborted and body parts sold. How does that comport with the word of God? Could you please explain that to me, Mr. Pastor? You see, we have, a, we have an issue. And, and a lot of us want to excuse it because it's a hot button issue. I'm here to tell you that the war and the battle that we're fighting, we're fighting it because this is the critical issue. And we have to know how to reconcile and stand for it, against it, with our friends, families, and neighbors. And if we don't, we're gonna always be tossed to and fro. And if we don't, we've just confirmed to ourselves we've accepted Christendom, not Christianity. Because it's not about lordship. Jesus himself is not saying, oh, well, it's, oh, yeah, that's fine. Ah, it's just a baby and a, what, excuse me? God himself said, look, he weaves it together in the womb. The enemy, the, uh, Satan himself goes after children in the womb for one reason. Because they have the essence of God and the possibility of turning into the image of God later 
when they, if and when they accept Christ. That's why he must snuff them out. They are his number one target. Do you know what the statistics are? Let's, let's, let's just talk about that for a minute. So Pol Pot, uh, Mao Zedong, uh, Stalin, Hitler, all of, the, all of the worst despots in history. Uh, forget that. All of the war, people who have done in all of the wars in history. Let's combine those totals. Approximately 110, maybe 150 million. Do you know how many babies have been aborted worldwide? If you include China, India, United States. 50 million here in the United States, right off top. China beat us by magnitudes. India, certainly. Probably 200 plus million babies. Why? Because of the war. This is what Satan is, first of all, jealous that, you know, God has taken so much time to do so much stuff for, for humankind. And then he, uh, uh, he doesn't want anyone to actually compete against his kingdom. If those babies were brought forth, we'd have a, a much stronger church. We'd have stronger environments, stronger communities. So this is where we must stand. This is where the war begins. The number one strategy that God told me is after they understand the war, they understand the battle or the fight that we're in, they'll be restored and renewed and revived. How are you feeling? Are you with me? Are you getting a new sense of what really is at stake here? All right, all right. Track with me, track with me, baby, all right. Everything culminates with the war on babies. We had child sacrifices, Baal, Moloch, we had those. They were taken, and just, so Satan wasn't just like, like proliferating black plague and just encouraging, you know, babies just die. No. Baal and, 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 and Moloch were, uh, uh, sacrifices were, babies were thrown in volcanoes. You know, they had a, a big gold or bronze statue with, with uh, its stomach cut out with where that was fire. It was a pit, and babies were put on like, uh, um, you know, and then fed into, um, fed into these, these brazen images from the beginning. He wanted to kill babies in the most uh, personal way. It's his attack on God. You know, his, he, he really doesn't care about you know, uh, us. He only cares about us to the extent that we're means to the end of him to personally assault our God. So that's why babies. Babies are precious in God's eyes. Therefore, let's kill them in the most heinous way. So fires, fast forward to today. What are we doing? We're actually literally taking babies, dismembering them in the womb and aborting them and then selling their body parts. And in some states, we actually have the baby born. And then we'll wait, make it comfortable. And then we'll dismember it on the table and sell the body parts. This is happening in America. America today, just, just so you know, America had, today has the worst human rights atrocities via abortion than any other country in the world. China and North Korea won't even dare to think about infanticide like we do right now. They don't do it. They say, well, <laughs> America, y'all off the hook. That's, that's a bridge too far. It's just China and North Korea telling us that we've gone too far. We have become the most inhumane country in the world in this arena. I mean, do you know, I mean, are you following? You kind of understand what I'm saying on this. And the reason is, is uh, goes back to where the war began. All right? So, so all of those issues, all the progressives purport to be about all of these issues, human rights, social justice, and all this stuff. And yet, they do everything to undermine life. Everything they can. So, how do we overcome this? First of all, it's to recognize that we're at war. Recognize where the war begins. Recognize that when people are coming at us and saying, oh, that's fine, that's just, it, with their deranged lens that they're seeing the world through, that just happens. It, it's, and so, we, uh, everything, oh, okay, good. So I've, okay. So what we have to do is Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, 11. If you, if you know the verse, I'm, I'm not going to go there for the sake of time. I need to bring Walter up. But basically, we need to put on the entire armor of God. 
We need to reestablish ourselves, put the armor on, get our spines straight, and get ready to stand up straight and march forward, irrespective of what they say. Irrespective of what they say. If you're walking down the street and you see a deranged person, a person that's completely out of their mind, do you even give that person a thought? They could be saying the most heinous things about you, but you recognize they're deranged. You know, they know me, you know. Right? Well, we have to feel the same way when these deranged people who just have, you know, a different mindset come after us. And we got to still stand firm and put our shoulders back, put our spine straight, stand firm on the word of God and march forward and try to encourage them of where the war actually begins. So they begin to see the real issues and not the ones that they're uh, currently manipulated by. So how do we battle against all this? First thing we have to do is forgive. We have to reconcile a level of forgiveness within ourselves. We have to reconcile forgiveness for others. Many of us have had kids, grandkids that have been wiped out because of this issue. And we were resentful to potentially those other family members that did that. And we have to, we have to somehow reconcile that. So the whole forgiveness issue we'll, we'll deal with after uh, Walter uh, comes up and shares with us. Uh, and we'll say a prayer of forgiveness and reconciliation at the end. But I want to leave you with this. We are in a battle. This is a very, very real battle. This is a battle that God himself said in Genesis 3 that we were in, culminated in Genesis 3. And it all revolves around life. Everything that we're about, socially and culturally, revolves around life. It is not to be ignored. It is not. We cannot, you know, just escape it to be convenient. No. This is it. This is where it is. And so we're going to pray that everybody can get a sense for this. We're going to pray that forgiveness will culminate. And, um, and we're going to pray that we'll be able to get through this season of direct assault and attacks directly. So I want to thank you for, for just allowing me to share that bit with you. i got a great treat for you. We have Walter Hoy, mighty man of God, good personal friend of mine, and a mentor, he and his wife. They've mentored us in so many ways. So, Walter, would you please come? Am I on now? All right, all right, all right. Can you see me? All right. I'm so glad to be back. I want to thank Rob for letting me come back. You know, I didn't think I'd be back after the first time, you know. Uh, but I'm really glad. Thank uh, Kevin. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Kevin, you don't know this, but, you know, we're writing this down, all right? <laughs> we're going to use this again. This, this is awesome. Uh, I'm going to uh, dig deeper. I'm going to go much, much, much deeper in, in, into this issue. And so I want you to get ready, all right? You know, I, I took my jacket off, I rolled my sleeves up because I'm gonna get into it, all right? All right, you need to know this. This year, this year, I'm celebrating 30 years of marriage. And that's my wife right there. I mean, she needs the standing ovation. She's put up with me for 30 years. 30. Lord have mercy. I'm not so sure I like me for 30 years. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But she's just been awesome. All right. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yes. All right. All right. All right. We're going to get started. I asked a black Democrat, what did Planned Parenthood say to get your support? Really, a party train. 
what about their questionable business practices? the more than 9,000 federally qualified health centers that don't do abortions. Mr. President, we gotta defund Planned Parenthood. We gotta defund Planned Parenthood. That has got, got to happen. But what's been going on? I'm gonna talk to you about this subject right here. I'm gonna take you, we'll look what happened with us in the 60s and in the 70s, and we're gonna get even deeper after that. Ultimately, I'm gonna to get to the reasons why black leadership rejects the pro-life movement, so you at least have some understanding about what's really going on and how deep this really is. All right, let me go on, I'm in a hurry. Cecil Moore, you may not know this, but in the 1960s, black Americans understood that Margaret Sanger's plan has always been racist, all right? When you look at what we knew in the 60s, we're taking a look at Cecil Moore. I mean, they're going to a street named after him. He was extremely popular, a NAACP president in Philadelphia. And this is what he had to say. He said, Planned Parenthood's plan for Philadelphia was replete, replete with everything that helped the Negroes commit race suicide. Boy, you don't hear anything like that today, do you? No. Well, back then, we already knew. We knew exactly what it was back then. Let me go on to the 70s. Let's take a look at Jesse. Ah! <laughs> Young Jesse, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, Jesse, look at the top. You don't have to read more than the first sentence. Abortion is genocide already knew it was genocide. Planned Parenthood's plan was all about getting rid of us. And then Jesse, it's just genocide. There's no question about it, we knew. But what happened? Something changed. Let's take a look at this next video. Could it even be remotely possible that Black Lives Matter to Planned Parenthood? What? You mean nobody targets more Black American babies for abortion than Planned Parenthood? So nobody takes more black American lives than Planned Parenthood? I'm done. I'm out of here. There's no way we can vote for a Democrat. My, my, my. Whenever, when, when, when we released that video, it went viral. It went everywhere. Because the point is that without life, nothing matters. I mean, let's be honest about it. It doesn't matter if you got a house waiting on, you got a home waiting on, you got a community waiting on, you got parents waiting on, you got a job waiting on you, you got a career waiting on you. If you can't get out the womb, nothing matters. It really is the number one issue. Let's, let's take a little deep. Let's dig a little deeper into it. Let's take a look at the impact. See, what we knew in the 60s was right. We were absolutely right about it. It was replete with everything to help the Negroes commit race suicide. Jesse was right at the time. Abortion is genocide. Let's take a look at this impact right here real quick. 
in 169 years, mm, the total black fertility rate dropped 77%. There is such a thing as too late. Keep that in mind. See, we, we started out, according to the government, take a look at the study, according to the government, we started out around 7.9, but now we're down to 1.8. In order for you to maintain, in order for you to just stay right where you are, not gain or, or subtract anything, just to maintain, every woman has to have 2.1 children. If that doesn't happen, you're going down. There's no doubt about it. That's already an established fact. We're below replacement level. We're down to 1.8. I'm going to tell you something else. So is white America. That's what abortion does. When God blesses, he blesses the people. He blesses Israel. So they're more than the, the sand, uh, uh, the, the, the sand. They're more than the stars in the sky. It, you become great, and God increases your numbers, and he blesses you tremendously that way. But Satan comes along like Kevin's talking about, and he takes all that blessing away. Oh, my goodness. We're down to 1.8. If we don't do something about this now, we've got about 30 years. Because by 2050, if nothing changes, we'll be looking at 1.3. And 1.3 is irreversibility. Mm. Mm. How about the 13 leading causes of death in my community? Abortion just by itself is all 13. All 13 together. All 13 together. All 13 includes homicide. Oh, don't let me go there. But let's just take a look at heart disease, cancer, and stroke. Bam. The number one cause of death in my community is abortion. Is abortion. Now, I'm not done yet. Let's take a look at the next video. I asked the black abortionist, how did Hillary Clinton get your support? What? Come on, man. Really? What is Hillary doing to get your vote? Okay, okay. But how are you going to help Hillary win the election like that? And where is all the money? That's it. Brothers, the Democrats cannot win in November. Abortion is completely unacceptable. We talk about race and race relations. Well, the Klan. The Klan, the Ku Klux Klan, from 1882 to 1968, according to Tuskegee Institute, they kept track. They were counting. The Klan lynched 3,446. The Klan lynched. Abortion in my community outstrips that number every three days. The impact that this has had on our, our community is devastating. We're looking at about 30 more years. Nothing changes. We don't do anything different. We keep on doing what we've been doing, doing what we're doing right now. We got about 30 years before we get to 1.3. 1.3 is irreversibility because there is no economic model. 
that can bring you up from there. Lord have mercy. So, why is this such a, a difficult thing for black leadership to put their arms around? Why did, does black leadership reject the pro-life movement entirely? Well, I'm going to share with you there are four specific reasons why black leadership rejects the pro-life movement. Four specific reasons. And I'm just going to touch on them. I'm going to run through them because I want you to, to know that it's not so much that your program isn't this or that or your brochure isn't this or that or your conference isn't this or that. Now, there are four specific reasons. If you don't know the reasons why, you can't move him from A to B. Let's take a look at the first reason. Some of the brothers, some, some, are post-abortive. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I mean that there's an abortion in his life somewhere. Somewhere. It could be mom. It could be his wife. It could be his son. It could be his daughter. If he's a black pastor preaching to a black congregation, probably the entire congregation is post-abortive. The numbers in our community are off the chain. Off the chain. Let me hit this real quick while I'm here. Again, I'm using abortion industry data. This is the data that they're willing to admit. This is the data that they're willing to you own up to. Okay, this is what it is. My goodness. According to the Gutmacher Institute, and Alan Gutmacher is the former president of Planned Parenthood, now the research arm of Planned Parenthood, Lord have mercy. But according to the Gutmacher industry, the Institute, black Americans account for 28% of all abortions in the country. 28%, 14% of the population. At best, you can see 12, you can see 13, 14 at best, responsible for 28%. But oh my goodness, oh my goodness, if that's not bad enough, it gets worse. Half of us are women. So now we're looking at about 67% responsible for that 28%. Mm. Hey, I can't stop there. If you look at childbearing age from 15 to 44, you're now down to about 3 or 4% responsible for 28% of all the abortions in the United States of America, that's not an accident. It just didn't happen to work out that way. My goodness, the impact in our community has been devastating. And if we don't do something about it, we're running into a whole lot of problems. And so when you're trying to talk to the leader and the leader is post border, and you don't have a strategy in your back pocket for that, you're not going to be able to reach him. It's not that he don't know what the Bible says. Of course he does. My goodness, of course he does. But if he's post abortive, it's been Planned Parenthood's talking points that allow him to sleep at night. And if you don't get that, you're not going to be able to, to reach him. Let's take a look at number two real quick. Some of the fellas are racist. Some of the fellas don't like white folk. They don't. I, I, I'm a licensed, ordained, card-carrying member. And there are times when we're just by ourselves. There aren't any of the congregation around. The public is not around. The media is not around. It's just us. We're just together. And some of us, some of us, really don't like white folk at all. And we feel justified. Oh yeah, we're justified. But we're not. The Bible's very clear. Sin is the problem, not skin color. Sin's the problem. And Christ is the answer to the sin problem. Now if you meet him, and he fits in category number two. And you don't have a strategy in your pocket to reach him, you're not going to. You're going to, you're going to need help with that one. You go to the next one, the third one. 
Some of the brothers are compromised. In other words, some have literally said, Walter, I've chosen the money over the mission. They're pastors. And they said, Walt, I, I can't do what you did. I, 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 can't, I can't do what you've done. I've chosen the money over the mission. I've chosen the treasure over the truth. And when you meet a pastor like that, you're going to have to have something in your back pocket. You're going to have to have a strategy specific for that. If you don't have one, you're not going to be able to reach him. You can mean well, do well, you can say whatever you want, but he's compromised. He's compromised. You have to, you have to understand how to reach him. We, we can help you do that. Look at, let me quick, let me run through this. Number four, some uninformed. I used to say that this was the least... Of the, of, the, of the four reasons, they're uninformed, they're not post-abortive, they're not racist, they're not compromised in any way. They're just uninformed. They just need to know better, and once they know better, they'll do better. My goodness. I wish that were true. I wish that just because I knew better, I wouldn't sin anymore. Yeah, I, I was laughing too, you know, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It, it, speaking just for myself, it's not that I didn't know better. I just didn't do better. I'm just being honest with you. The problem here is that the number one responsibility of a shepherd is the sheep. It's not the church service. It's not the Bible study. It's it's not the choir. It's got nothing to do with, you know, what you are doing in the community. It's the sheep themselves. The sheep are the number one priority to the under-shepherd. And can you imagine a problem so bad in the flock that the babies can't even get out the womb? They can't even get out the womb. The problem is that bad. Oh my goodness. And you know nothing about it? That's unbelievable. Well, there's a reason they don't. And if you don't really understand this issue right here, the uninformed one, then again, you can be talking to them all they want, and you're not going to be able to reach them. Then let me rush through this. What can you do about it? The issue for that foundation is my wife and I, we uh, work with black leadership all across the nation, there are many brothers that know that this is an issue that needs to be number one. This is, this is definitely wrong, but how do I get this done in my church? That's what we do, and look, God has blessed us to be very good at what we do. I'm done. I'm going to leave you with this. This video went wild. This video went everywhere, and I tell you, it was very powerful, particularly during the um, 2016 presidential election cycle. God bless you. You want me to leave it? Here it is. In 2013, over 35% of all babies aborted were black. And now I'm hearing Planned Parenthood is pushing chemical abortions. How many ways can Planned Parenthood kill a baby and maim a mother? Really? What if she wants to have children in the future? the mother is a monster. Thank God 
Hillary didn't get elected president. Awesome, incredible. Um, while these stats are sobering, now we had a conversation earlier today about the war, where the war actually started, biblically, where God actually spoke and he says, this is the war. The war is with a woman, with her offspring, with Satan directly, purposely, strategically attacking the womb. What that leaves us is, if we actually kind of fall in because people are insulting us and we're like, I don't want to get insulted anymore, I just want to fall in on the other side, we're actually emboldening, encouraging, and enthroning the demonic realm. We're actually participating in demonism. It's just that serious. And, and that's just not me saying that. We saw the word where, it's, where it all culminates. Where this, is, this is just a fact. So we're left with, okay, we may have participated in some of this stuff. I'm unknowing, unbeknownst to us. We may have fallen in with the other side or diehard leftists or radicals or, because we didn't think this issue was really, yeah, it's, it's not that big of an issue compared to taking care of the poor without us connecting the dots between, well, who's the poorest? So we may need, we may feel some need to be forgiven. We may feel some need to reconcile with our family members and forgive them. We may feel some need to stand in proxy for those who we know who are struggling with this issue, who right now are contemplating potentially participating in abortion. We may feel some sort of way about not really supporting the black community in this issue, not even knowing that the black community was being the number one target for abortion. And so we need some forgiveness for that. So I wanted to just, uh, before, we, uh, before we dismiss, uh, I want to I have a brief video I'd like to put up. And I'd like you to just contemplate the video it's a heart that forgives. It's by Kevin Lavar, and then after we'll pray together, and uh, we'll be dismissed. So, take a look at this. I want a heart that forgives, a heart full of love. Passion just like yours above, one that overcomes evil, the goodness and love, like it never happened, never holding a grudge. Want a heart that forgives, that lives and lets live, one that keeps loving over and over again, one that men can offend. Because your word is within One that loves without price Like you, Lord Jesus Christ One a heart that loves everybody Even my enemies One a love like you Be like you Just like you did One a heart that forgives Hey,
Father, we're so grateful and we're thankful today that you revealed more of your kingdom to us, more of the battle, more of the fight. Father, we accept that you've given us wisdom and discernment about where the war begins and how we're just to stand firm and put on our armor and to forgive. Many of us, we've had our progeny wiped out because of abortion. We've been slandered because we're just trying to stand. Lord, we need to forgive. The message you have for us is that yes, we have to have armor on. Yes, you want us to stand firm, but to be in a position to fight is we have to have a forgiven heart so that we can pray for the other side. So we can pray that the veil will be lifted, that the grace that you've given us, the revelation that you've shown us, be extended to them and that they will come to know you as Lord and Savior. No more Christendom. Teach us how to be an example of how to be a Christian so we can represent you to the world and that others will be changed. Father, we know that this is an indelible moment in history. 
This is the time that you preordain that we as a church body will come together and gain revelation and strength and restoration as we go forth. So, Father, propel us forth, prepare us for the battle and all it entails. Give us that titanium spine to stand straight up. Give us all the use of all of our armor so that we're irrespective of the fiery darts and all the things that the enemy will try to come at us with, we will be unmoved. We will not be, we will not equivocate. Father, let your will be done in our households, in our family, in our communities. And we just thank you for it and praise you for it. Watch over us as we make our way home or wherever we must go now. And be with us, we pray. It's in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for it.